At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash game of microphones. See everything you're missing. There are two among the captains of the City Watch that remain loyal to Damon. Let us replace them. Lord Lannister. The treasury is well in hand. The gold will be divided for safekeeping. Let ravens be sent to our allies, Riverrun and Highgarden. Am I to understand that members of the small council have been planning secretly to install my son without me? My queen, there was no need to sully you with darkling schemes. We are the sword in the darkness. We are the shield that guards the realms of men. We are... Game of Microphones. And now... It's your host, Sir Duncan the Fearsome. Well met and good morrow, all you vile usurpers, awful oathbreakers, and fiendish foot fetishists, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Dragon Pit Repairman, and it's a gonna take me forever to clean this a mess. Uh, and I'm Lord Zach, Royal Hangman by day, arsonist by night, cloaked and hooded. <laughs> welcome to episode 129. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 9, The Green Council. (laughs) And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to be brained by a stone sphere, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Fear not, friends. If you haven't read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and we'll take caution not to spoil drama that's still to come on the show. And if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and have enjoyed our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones covering every episode in depth, please consider taking the black and helping us to get out of the red by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast, or by making a one-time donation to keep our show alive at paypal.me slash gompodcast. Without any further ado, let's get into our coverage of House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 9, The Green Council. Whew, man. This episode was crazy. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Really? I mean, just... I guess 
on the internet, you know, it may not be as universally loved as, you know, the previous few episodes, but to me, this was, this was right up there with, with the rest of the season. I, me I mean, too. it was just, just, I mean, nonstop plots and schemes, schemes and plots, as Tyrion said, schemes and plots are the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, just like, I've always sort of wondered, like we saw a little bit with, with Joffrey and Cersei, but like not the behind the scenes workings of the council. And, you know, we find out that, you know, there's been this plot all along. Um, but just to see, okay, the king dies. What's the next step? Okay. And that's where the episode starts. And okay. After that, you know, then, you know, after Talia finds out, Allison finds out, then she goes straight to Otto and then they convene the small council and then the small council decides to do X, Y, and Z. And just sets like that day. This basically covers one day, and then the very next morning, because she says, "Tama, not Tama, uh, Aegon <laughs> will be Aegon will be crowned, you know, tomorrow at dawn." And you know, and they do that, and that's the end of the episode. So it's basically just this day that they that Viserys, you know, that we wake up the next morning and Viserys has died, and then everything that happens that day to put Aegon on the throne is pretty, you know. I mean, very, you know, it's all in King's Land. Do we go anywhere else? I don't nope. even think we have a, even a little spy shot at Driftmark or Dragonstone. Or yeah, it makes sense that we didn't else. see any uh, Daenerys, any Daemon and Rhaenyra this episode, because all this takes place before they even find out. They've locked exactly. down the servants so that no word escapes, except for Talia's little uh, yeah. signal flare that she sends with the candles in the window. And yeah. uh, so it's all locked down. All this takes place before... Dana, uh, Damon and Rhaenyra find out. So next episode, we'll get their reaction and see what happens. I like I like yeah. that they did it this way because it's like it's happening in secret. So it's all it it's like its own little bubble episode where all the plotting and scheming is occurring, and then we'll be like back to normal next week. I get I bet exactly. But like like uh, Otto says in the council meeting, time is of the essence. Mm-hmm. And Cersei understands this. You know, in season one, after Robert dies. Uh, she knows that Ned Stark is is moving to oppose her, and of course, Renly and Stannis, you know, or they they have different plans, and she Cersei moves quickly to you know have Ned arrested, um, install Joffrey on the throne, and you can't waste time when you're usurping. That's what we've come to find out. <laughs> yeah, from Game of Thrones, a hot date. Definitely, so it's pretty pretty crazy pretty crazy so the episode starts picking up right where we left off it's still dark in the castle and eerie eerie shots looking down empty hallways and halls and and we get a little blonde boy walking through the halls right wearing little black boots little little leather blue little little leather boots (laughs) (laughs) and uh this this kind of confused me because it seems like he's just some regular old servant boy or something but it, it look he looks Targaryen. So I thought that it exactly. was Yeah, I thought it was Aegon and Helena's son. And then when we get to a, a couple scenes later when they're like, Where's Aegon? Where's Aegon? I thought it, it was there like a son named Aegon of theirs that like ran off in the middle of the uh, night or no, something. No, no. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, so I think I think they're tw- I think Aegon and Helena's twins are Jaharis and Jahera, a boy and a girl. Yeah, sounds right. So I was thinking that it was little baby Darren, who is Allison's fourth child that we haven't seen yet, oh. but he's supposed to be in Old Town, you know, as a ward. So, right, right, right. I think he is just a little serving boy, but he has blonde hair, and I guess they just threw that in there to throw us off. Yeah, I guess. all he does, 
all he does is inform come out Natalia, of the Kings. right? Yeah, he comes out of the, I guess he comes out of the king's room and or maybe some other it's not does it like a secret passage that he comes out of. It just looks like a normal door. And he goes down to the kitchens, finds Talia and tells her who, you know, goes straight to Allison. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty so, crazy. I think it's just a little serving boy or a little spy, you know, child spy or both. And he just happens to be blonde. So yeah, we're, we were left confused in the moment. <laughs> yep. So Allison is upset. She's beside herself and uh, she's on the verge of tears in bed as she learns the, the, of Viserys's fate. And she tells Talia to stay there. First, help her get dressed. Don't tell nobody. And so she gets dressed and leaves. And this is when Talia lights the candles in a triangular and a pyramidal shape in the window. And this must be a signal to the White Worm and her crew, kind of like in, uh, <laughs> in Lord of the Rings, how they have the signal fires on top of the mountains. And some, somebody's yep. just on duty watching all the time. They know Constantly. that Viserys' death is imminent. So they've got, Missaria's got somebody keeping an eye out, you know, for this particular um, candle pattern in, a, in this window. And word makes its way back to Missaria, as we see later. So, but for now, Allison arrives at this, uh, at Otto's chambers to inform him. And he's asking who already knows, because this is like of the utmost important with the plots that are going to be ensuing. It's critical that they compartmentalize this information and prevent word from getting out until things have settled and they've succeeded with their goal here. So, exactly. This, you know, Al, um, we come in and we're looking, I think we look at Otto for a minute and he's just kind of standing there collecting his thoughts. But his first words are, who knows? Who knows? So. He he knows that the control of the flow of information is of the utmost importance. Definitely. And uh, this is when Allison tells him, I saw him last night before he trails off. He told me he wished for Egon to be king. And he kind of looks at her like, what? Like, are you, you can't be yes. serious. <laughs> like Otto, Otto literally sits up in his chair and it was like, what, 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 what? <laughs> exactly. Like the, 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 the gif of the guy saying, oh, really? You know, so <laughs> go to the YouTube video. If you want to see me impersonate that gif, video is better. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. Yeah. Uh, but he just like, he does this like, he can't believe like they, they got this plan anyway, and they were going to move with this plan, whether Allison got this, you know, word on word from on high, you know, vis-a-vis Viserys about who needs, who should be the heir. But, and it seems what, regardless of Allison's comp- compliance oh, and complicity. Absolutely. So what would have happened? She would have been locked in her room, just like Rainey's, you know, probably. Yeah. Sorry. Because, go ahead. Didn't mean I to mean, cut you off. if Allison, you know, is as pure as the wind driven snow, as you like to think, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I know, just say, you mean? <laughs> is if, if she never got, if, if Viserys never had that conversation with her, for, I mean, I, I, I guess as much as I, I dislike Alicent, I guess she would have continued to go forward with supporting Rhaenyra as heir. Um, yeah, it seems like Viserys it, right? hadn't, you know, accidentally told her, you know, the prince that was promised, it must be you. It yeah. must be you. And it's only out of her love for Viserys that she feels now duty bound to carry out his wishes, his final death well. wishes. <laughs> I really <laughs> she does think get so. to install, right. I, don't, um, I mean, she does get to install her own son uh, on the throne, but 
I don't think she, she wanted to. Obviously, though. she's taken unawares as the, the Lannister. I wrote all the names down. Uh, <laughs> the scheming, the scheming plotters, the, the plotting schemers. Darkling uh, plots. Anyway, I mean, it's Ironrod, Lannister, Otto, um, Orwell, the Maester's in on it. Um, Is he? He he doesn't seem I mean, he's, surprised. He's going along he, with it. Yeah, he seems reticent or hesitant, though, as well. But, I mean, it's basically like, the Maesters God. are, like, they don't have a political affiliation necessarily. They're basically sworn to give the best advice they can to whatever lord or house they're assigned to. So, I mean, it seems weird if somebody's going to go to war with Old Town, you know, via, via, with, uh, sorry, go to war with the High Towers and, mm-hmm. you know, basically thus old, the whole city of Old Town because the church is there and the citadel is there. The citadel of the Maesters is there. Right. So he's but just kind of like grouped in with them. He was anyway. trying to get Beesbury to like, okay, dude, just, just accept it that this is what's happening. Could have just been out of self-preservation though, because he re- exactly. recognized the yeah, danger. Yeah. So Allison tells, uh, Otto that oh he, we had this conversation and I was the only witness and like this Otto is like you know he must be thinking oh a gift from the gods like this is fantastic because it gives our schemes legitimacy yeah so of course I like I think Otto sort of believes Allison but then he's like this is too good to be true she's just saying this to install Aegon even though we know she's not she really did have this conversation with Viserys, but Otto must be thinking this is too good to be true. It's her own little scheme. But, right. She's doing it to give the scheme legitimacy. And turns out there was already a scheme. Yeah. It was really cool, the plots within plots. Yeah, really cool. So uh, they convene the small council, and before they place the stones, they have a little conversation. Tyland Lannister is like, what could, you know, what, what's so urgent? It couldn't wait until I finish my beauty rest. Ugh, you know, but he's all pumped <laughs> up with his bling and everything. He's got like huge neck. He's Mr. T, apparently. Yeah, he, he, uh, walked in. he walked in and did not read the room. Yeah, <laughs> didn't even bother to look at the expressions on their faces. Yeah. Was Dorne invaded? <laughs> and Otto, the king is dead. He calls him uh, Viserys the Peaceful, which is a cool name. We yep. had Jaehaerys the Conciliator, Aegon the Conqueror. Uh, we have Magor the Cruel prior to this. And uh, now we have Viserys the Peaceful, our sovereign, Peaceful. our friend, as he refers to him empathetically. Or uh, I don't know if that's the right word for that. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, he informs everybody and he's left us a gift. With his last breath, he impressed upon the queen his final wish that his son Aegon should succeed him as lord of the Seven Kingdoms. And thunder ominously rolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, who is it that, that... Oh, it's Tyland who responds, uh, Oh, then we can proceed with the full assurance of his blessing on our long-laid plans. And Alicent kind of perks up like, what? Long-laid plans, yeah. man. This is... I can't remember from the books if if... Like, I know they have a small council meeting, but I don't know if there's mention of like a preset plot, like plan. Uh, Like when the queen died recently uh, in Scotland, I guess there's some code name plan of what to do if she dies in Scotland versus England. And, uh, you know, there, you know, there's different procedures and protocols to go through. But it's pretty, pretty cool to see that they there's this preset plan that they had already worked out, you know, mm-hmm. from a long time ago. Yeah, pretty crazy. 
in my mind, uh, basically, Tylen Lannister has become Jason Lannister. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like we first meet Tylen and he's trying to brief uh, Viserys in episode two about Stepstones and Stepstones and Stepstones. And Viserys is like, where's Rhaenyra? Where's Rhaenyra? Hey, do you know where Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra is at? And Tylen is like dutifully trying to report on the Stepstones. But now Tylen has basically become the Jason Lannister that we meet at the Royal Hunt. He really has. presumes... And he's pompous and he presumes to know, you know, what the succession will be. And he's trying to get Rhaenyra's, you know, hand in marriage and all that. So, like, in my mind, I just sort of fused the two. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is Tylen Lannister, the, the second son. Or maybe the third son. I guess he's second or you know, further down the line. Um, he was well, a master they're twins, of ships. right? So, unless there's yeah, triplets, uh, he's good. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, could be the youngest of three. Right. So... He's probably like, since he's in on this plot and everything, he probably, you know, before he was like, oh, I'm second son. I'm like, I got a cool job and everything, but, you know, my brother's Still not the Lord. Lord. And, but yeah, now he's not like, the Lord of Casterly Rock. Yeah, now he's scheming and he's like making a, oh, big yeah. moves and having a big influence. And he's like building up his ego in the process, you know? Yeah. And like you said, his, his uh, what's it called? Swag. Oh, uh, yeah. His, his bling. And his bling. His swag, his, his bling, uh, yeah. He's blinged out to uh, <laughs> to show everybody how important he is. Every time I come around, you it wing, wing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he like, he just like spits out the the plot. Like, oh, so we can proceed with the full assurance of our long laid plans. Yeah, like outing them. Exactly. We get this quick glance of Allison's like, wait, what? And before she can even say anything, Otto's like, oh, yes, there's much to be done, as we previously discussed. Uh, two captains on the city watch that are uh, loyal to Damon. They need to be replaced. Um, and he, he tells Lord Lannister to do that. And Lannister, who master isn't of coin. the treasury. Well, he's master of ships. And oh, for right, now, right, right, right. And Beesbury, but I think he's about to take over master of coin. But anyway, he says the treasury is well in hand. Gold will be divided for safekeeping, which I do remember something about the gold. In the books, something happens with some of it or all of it. I can't remember. But like, I think what he's saying is they're divvying it up, sending it to different locations just so that all their eggs aren't in one basket, you know. So they're taking the 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 Targaryen soldiers, eliminating anybody who may be, uh, you know, free thinking or loyal to the blacks and they're yeah. taking to targaryen gold and splitting it up for safekeeping that's insane dude yeah it sounds like they've been purging the targs targ loyalists from the forces for a while now probably yeah if there's only two captains left that uh, remain loyal to yeah. uh, damon so uh tylen talks about the gold um and Otto, we just they keep on like running down the list of things they gotta do. Uh, let Ravens be sent to our allies in River Run and High Garden. So I started kind of making a list of nice, who's who, call. who's who's greens, who's blacks. Um I need to like I just wrote it in, in my notes, but I need to like make a official, you know, chart, left side, right side, um, greens, blacks. So it sounds yeah. like the Tullys of River Run and the not the High Gardeners, the uh the Corey Eugene Kuhn, who's uh, the last High Garden of High Garden, you know. Anyway, I can't say it. <laughs> the last High Gardener of High Garden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes me think of House Tyrell or Tyrell. How do you say it? Tyrell? I say Tyrell, but it could be Tyrell. Yeah. Uh, the Tyrells of High Garden seem to be uh, Team Green. Um, they're sending ravens to them, 
And then here, uh, Allison finally cuts in. It's like, hold on just a minute. You mean to tell me that members of this small council have been secretly planning to install my son? Uh, without me? And I think it was Iron Rod. Yeah, yeah. You know, without her, without her knowledge or consent. Like, it's her son. It's like, it's her, you know, flesh and blood. Shouldn't she be consulted? This type of situation is crazy. Absolutely. And this sort of affirms my speculation or my, my um, what I noticed that she and her father don't, haven't been on the same page, basically, uh, leading up to this. You could tell that her father was scheming and she was like caught in between the two. It didn't seem like they were necessarily fully allied. And this proves it, that she's not even in on the plans and the plotting. And uh, so that was pretty quite the revelation. And this scene is so tense, dude. You could cut the tension with you don't even need Valyrian steel to cut the tension. You could use mm-hmm. a butter knife. You know? <laughs> I think it's uh, Iron Rod who says, oh, my queen, there was no need to sully you with Darkling schemes. Yeah, Darkling. Uh, cool. Which made me think of Darkwing Duck. And Darkwing also made me think. Duck. Yeah. <laughs> Love that cartoon as a kid. It also made me think of the Darklands, you know, of Duskendale. Yeah, we like we were just about. talking about. That's what made me think of. Last week or two weeks ago. Uh, Darkling schemes. And then here we get the man of the hour, the hero, Lyman Beesbury. He stands up. I will not have this. <laughs> I mean, he's so, I mean, there's nothing he can do. Literally, he's outnumbered, what, like six to one or seven to one? Yeah, he's in big trouble. And speaking of Darkwing Duck, when there's trouble, you call DW, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, say for, you know, uh, Harold Westerling, you know, sort of seems to be of the same the same sentiment. but. Um, uh, old man. To, to, to hear you're plotting to replace the king's chosen heir with an imposter. I was like, he stood up. I was like, yes, he's an imposter. Let's go, Beesbury. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, Beesbury's fucked. <laughs> he's in trouble. He's surrounded by a den of vipers here. Oh, yeah, exactly. Super uh, viper. Uh, what's the movie where they fall into the snakes? Uh, one of the uh, Indiana Jones movies. Oh, I think Don't it was number into, like, two. A whole, I mean, there's snakes everywhere. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? They enter that the, sounds right. they go climb down the thing in the map room and then something happens and there's snakes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But that's Beesbury in this moment. He is surrounded by the snakes of the high towers. And he just um, yells, I'm sick of all these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucking council. <laughs> so he had called, Beesbury had called Aegon an imposter. And Tylan says, well, the firstborn son of Viserys is hardly an imposter. Um, and Beesbury, you know, brings up the, the oath, you know, that they swore, uh, all these lords and knights, you know, swore fealty to, uh, to Princess Rhaenyra. Um, and Tylan tries to just, you know, brush it away. Oh, 20 years ago, most of them are dead. I think in the books, Tylan even says, um, I swore no such oath. You know, I was merely a boy at that, you know, at that time. Oh, interesting. So, you know, bringing up his own personal, is like, you know. My dad or whoever was uncle, whoever was Lord of Casterly Rock back then, they may have sworn something. Me. Not me. I didn't didn't swear anything. Not my problem. Not my chin, not my problem. That's what I say. (laughs) Exactly. Um, He says, 20 years ago, most of them are now dead. So then old Ironrod, Jasper Wilde, says, you know, you heard the hand. You know, our plot, you know, notwithstanding, the king changed his mind. Um, Yeah. Plot or no. Yeah, here Beesbury, you know, he just doubles down, like sort of like a Vayman last week. He's like, no, I don't care what you say. I'm, you know, I'm 76 years old, which is really old for this, you know, Wicked period. Old. 
history. I mean, if we say that this is you know equivalent to real medieval times, like average age was like 40 or 45, maybe. Oof. Maybe 60 was like a really long life. This guy's 76 in which he is, you know, he's lived a cush life of, you know, Lord of whatever the bees berries are Lord of. And, uh, you know, master of coin for many years now. You know, I heard something about that recently that the average lifespan is seems it's shorter in a number like that when you do an average, but that they counted like childhood deaths because it was very right, common yeah, for yeah. infants to die. And that like brings down the average a lot more than it would be. So it wouldn't be as low as they say, but it wouldn't be as high as quite as high as right, current now, time nowadays. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. House Beesbury of Honey Holt. A minor house from the reach. <laughs> Bees and honey. <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, he's like, I will not believe that he said this on his deathbed alone with only the, and he kind of pauses, the boy's mother as a witness. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, she's the queen, but categorizing her here as the boy's mother emphasizes her personal stake in the situation and how she may be liable to manipulate. It definitely does. and But it also, he doesn't call her queen because her powers as queen were derived from being married to Viserys as king. Now Viserys is dead. So I guess you would be our UK listeners regent? can correct our, our queen. Well, regent oh, means know. like she's ruling instead of the child. Like there was a Baratheon, some, uh, some Baratheons, you know, back in history uh, that were queen regent and hand who was acting as regent also, or something like that. But so I think Queen Regent is when there's a kid that's king that hasn't come of age yet. But like Dowager Queen, now that now that her husband is dead, I think that might be it. So anyway, um, he doesn't call her anything. He just calls her the boy's mother as the only witness. So that was pretty nice. Kind of a little bit of a little key zing. Yeah. Queen Allison. <laughs> um, this is seizure. It is theft. It is treason. The T word. He said it. <laughs> And that's, I mean, that's like Bayman, you know, finally saying last week, our children are bastards and she's a whore. A whore. I was like, all right, that's it. That's the end of the line. For she Beesbury. puts the whore in horny. She's, <laughs> you know, she's on her sixth kid at this point, right? Oh, um, does he say at the least it is, he was about to say something else. Oh yeah. And before he's cut off by uh, somebody. The, or, uh, the maid, Grand Maester Orwell thinks, mind your tongue, Lyman. Uh, and right at this moment, Sir Kristen slinks over behind Beesbury. And I was like, yeah. oh, God, he's moving into the kill position. Yeah. Uh, the king was well all, uh, last night, by all accounts, because he'd had the dinner and was, you know, the first part of the dinner. He stood up and gave a, you know, rousing speech about, you know, making peace with, with the family and everything. Yeah. So, um, Beesbury is saying, you know, he was well last night, by all accounts. Which of you can swear that he died by his own accord? Ooh, which of us are you accusing of regicide, Lord Beesbury? <laughs> oh, man, it's, you know, whether it was one of you or all of you, I care not. And it's like, so he's literally, he doesn't care if it's one of them or all of them. Somebody here has killed the king in his mind, or at least potentially. So he's just throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah, I will have no part. And then boom, <laughs> somebody <laughs> says, sit down. Was it Kristen? I think it's Kristen. Or, he like, he shoves him and says, sit down at the same time. And I think uh, like he may have just, I think he was really just trying to get him to sit down, you know, and, and, but he like, oh, fell and boom. 
Yeah, one t- the first time I thought, I was like, his I think his hands were on his shoulders, and he was just trying to get him to sit down. Yeah. But then somehow Cole's hand also smashed his head <laughs> into the ball. I was like, well, that was overkill. <laughs> Brained by a stone sphere. <laughs> That's crazy. Christian Cole brains Beesberry here in, in the show, but in the books, a mushroom's oh, yeah. account is that Cole tosses Beesberry out of a window in the Red Keep right. to his death. Dude, <laughs> pretty crazy. That would have been cool. I think there's a couple uh, theories of in according to the maester that wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, according to Mushroom, he gets defenestrated, tossed out the window, <laughs> and according to another source, he gets his throat slit. So. It, I like how history is kind of unclear about the things that happen. Yeah. Like from the layman's perspective, you know, it, it would seem that Alicent was spearheading this whole operation. But in, in the in this show, it's clear that she was kind of a pawn. And, uh, you know, you don't have, you have, you have, you'd have to be really on the inside of everything to know that Alicent wasn't involved to the extent that she is, you know. Definitely. I didn't think... You know, we they kept we, in the beginning, the first couple episodes, they kept focusing on those little spheres of the small council. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's the deal with this? What are we going to do? And they roll this one. We do get a cool shot, almost like uh, a pool or billiards table. They roll Lannister, his ball kind of down the length of the oh, table. Oh, I missed that. Grab, Damn. Yeah, yeah. At the, at the very beginning of the scene, at the of the small council scene, the camera is like sitting on the table and the, the uh, little master of ships, you know, his ball. And rolls down toward him and he grabs it and he takes it and goes clunk and puts it in his little disc or whatever. And I think that's right as he says, oh, what couldn't wait an hour? I was been sleeping or whatever. <laughs> he hadn't and, finished his coffee. Yeah, it was interesting because Otto went over a couple things before placing the ball into the into the holder. You know, like he detailed yeah, yeah, how yeah. the king was dead and they talked he was about holding their plot it in his hand. and then boom, he puts it in. Yeah, he, yeah, the hand was kind of ro- fidgeting with his when he said the king is dead. Mm. Um, and then it was a few more lines back and forth with him and Lannister uh, before he s- came over and set his ball into his disc and sat down. So um, Lyman's last words were, ah! <laughs> and immediately upon this, Sir Harold unsheathes his steel and starts calmly walking around the table towards... Sir Kristen. And I was like, oh my God, dude. Sir Harold is not having it. He, the whole time he's been kind of looking around the room like, what the hell is going on here? This is crazy. And uh, he's he's in a dangerous situation. I kept yelling, get out of there, Harold! Get out of there! <laughs> Run! Yeah. Fly, you fool! <laughs> Fly, you fool! And he tells Kristen, you know, Allison to kind of is like, Sir Kristen, you know, like she reacts in horror sort of to him murdering Beesbury. And Harold is telling him, throw down your sword and remove your cloak, Sir Kristen. Like, you're done as a Kingsguard. This is at least the second straight murder that you've committed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not a, it's not an honorable or, or acceptable for the Kingsguard. And, uh, dude, he, he draws his own sword, Kristen. He whoom, pulls it out and in one smooth motion, just whoop. Right to its position, no no wavering or anything. It's like he has perfect control over the blade and just whoom, puts it right up to point to to Harold's neck. And he's like, I will not suffer insults to her grace, the queen. And I thought for sure they were about to duel. At this, <laughs> this scene yeah. is so crazy, dude. So, yeah, I, I couldn't remember anything specifically from the books here where King's Guard, you know, came to swords, but it, it definitely seemed like it. Apparently, Sir Harold is, is long dead at this point. 
in the books. Yeah, that's right. I did hear that somewhere today or, or last night in All Shift X. Yeah, I think they mentioned it on All Shift X. So, but I mean, they, they cast Graham McTavish, so they had yeah, to right. give him some more stuff to do. Love so, that dude. Yeah, he's so good. He's really cool. And, you know, I love his character now even more. Um, because remember, at, I mean, one of the very first scenes of the show, maybe the very first scene it's is him Cyrax and coming over the clouds and then she lands at the dragon pit and it's him and Rhaenyra, you know, and he's talking about how you know it's good that she's back and safe. Otherwise they'd have his head or something like yeah, that. He has a special sort of little bond. He has yeah. a lot of history with Rhaenyra. Not the kind of history that Cole and Rainier have. <laughs> that we know of. I mean, she does yeah. put the whore in horny. <laughs> the hoe in horny, you could say. Um, and Allison is sort of like, she's almost like wringing her old neck. She's just so, like, she used to, like, pick at her fingernails. And she seems like she's, like, wants to just Homer Simpson herself back into her chair. You know, Homer Simpson into the bushes. <laughs> just like, she's just like, oh. Oh, 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 she's done that a couple times too. When uh, when she found out that yeah. La, uh, Laris. Laris murdered his own family, she did that thing where she grabbed her <laughs> yeah, neck like, as well. Oh, like she realizes that the situation is strangling her, and it's like she's like subconsciously does it to herself. It's pretty yeah. crazy. And she tells Sir Kristen, you know, there was no insult. Put aside <laughs> your blade, but she doesn't tell him to remove his cloak. So she effectively overrules Westerling in this moment. Yeah. And he immediately puts his sword away. Usually there's like, they still like, they hold it there for a few seconds and like reluctantly like, okay. And right. they put this, but he like immediately she's, you know, she called off her attack dog and like a toy like, soldier, oh. just his arm lowers. And Westerling still had his, you know, on him. And then he, you know, removed his sword too a moment later. Crazy dude. Um, somebody says, has it come to this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was Westerling. He's like, has it come to this? Looking back and forth across the room, like, this is madness. <laughs> you know, this is madness. Exactly. <laughs> this is madness. Um, Orwell tries to get him to remove uh, Beesbury's body, but Otto is like super hardcore. No, the door remains shut until we finish our business. And Reese Ifans really brings like a dark tone for this line. Yeah, absolutely. No, the door remains shut until we finish our business. And Orwell is kind of looking around like, oh, my God, like, I think I'm over my head here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to speak up like Beesberry did. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they'll brain me, too, and leave me sitting here bleeding out while they finish their business. Yep. Um, I think it's Lannister who says Storm's End is yep, of concern. Tyler. So it's interesting to know that the Baratheons are potentially Team Black. Or, you know, he says if, if they get a good marriage proposal, maybe that could sway them so maybe now, they're in the wind they're you know nobody knows who would who who they would be allied with yeah pretty crazy and allison at this point is like running her hands through her hair like oh my god you know like she puts her head forward and <laughs> uh, she looks really overwhelmed but yep, then she absolutely. immediately changes the subject what of rhaenyra like this is the major wild card problem here wild card bitches um, is Otto here? This says the former heir cannot. Yeah. Or is it? Yeah, it's I'm Otto. Trying to remember. <clears throat> the former heir cannot. Nobody else would have the balls to say that, right? Yeah. The former heir cannot, of course, be allowed to remain free and draw support to her claim. Dude. And Allison, Allison gives them the benefit of the doubt and says, oh, oh, you, you mean to imprison her? <laughs> she, you know, she comes to a darker realization, you know, in a few lines. And Harold is looking around like, you got to be kidding me. Are we really? Are y'all really talking about this? 
Otto says uh, she and her family will be given the opportunity to publicly you know, swear obeisance to, to the new king. And Allison knows, you know, she'll never bend the knee. And neither will Damon. You plan to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> so like Otto sort of explains his way out of, oh, they'll be given a chance to, to bend the knee. But it's like, no, you know, they're never going to do that. So and then, you know, Allison realizes the end goal, the end result, you know. Yeah. And then she looks around the room and says, you and all here exceed to this. Exceed. I thought that was a cool word. A-C-C-E-D-E. Mm-hmm. Meaning like agree, I guess. Um, right. And um, Harold is legit like, what the fuck at this point? Like he's just looking horrified by all of this. And Orwell is maybe he is in on it, like you said, because he's agreeing with with Otto saying your father is correct. Your grace, a living challenger invites battle and bloodshed. Yeah, I mean, it does. And he may be thinking of as oh, he's not choosing sides. He's just stating the facts that leaving a challenger alive is just an invitation to war and bloodshed. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it is true. I mean, what do you say? He's not telling, no, uh, no lies were told, but it's, it seems like he's, you know, if he's not in on it, he's just, you know, he's playing the not going to get turned into Beesberry card. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, Otto says, it is unsavory. Like, yes. <laughs> just a tiny bit. It's a tiny bit unsavory. Just a tiny but, bit. But, you know, here, here we get, you know, the age-old line, you know, sacrifice the few for the good of the many. Right. Um, we must make a sacrifice to uh, secure Aegon's succession. Like, who is it? And some movie says, "Why? oh, is it Tywin, right? Is it not better to kill a dozen people at dinner than thousands a on thousand. the battlefield? Yeah, at war. And, I mean... I mean, he has a point, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, but, you know, the rules of war and the customs of the day, as far as, you know, dinner, uh, guest right and that sort of thing, it's, but, you know, it, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and then there's Damon to consider. So it's like, they, so it's like they're, they're thinking of Rhaenyra and her claim, but, the, but also there's this total wild card. Uh, wild card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's going in There's there. Damon to consider. Uh, the king wouldn't wish for any unsavory. But the king would not wish for the murder of his daughter. He loved her. I will not have you deny this. <laughs> and it's it's Iron Rod, right? Who says, yeah, yeah. and yet. And she's like, one more word and I'll have you removed from this chamber and sent to the wall. Man, she's had enough from old Iron Rod. Cool mention of the wall. So I guess they were sending scoundrels there at this point still. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it <laughs> seems like when when Jaharis and Alicine visit the wall, that that's one of the things that they said that they're they need even more people than the crown and the other lords are sending them. Right. At first, it was considered like an honorable job, right, where they sent good men to the wall. And then after a while, and people were forgetting about the threat of the White Walkers, it sort of nobody wanted to go anymore. So they started having to send criminals and and people like that, right? Think something yeah, I can't like remember at the beginning um, because the wall pre-existed Aegon. Yeah, uh, and oh, his well, conquest. a long time. Um, so yeah, way, way, way back into to the deep history. I can't really remember if if, mm-hmm. if it was more if it was thought of as more of an honorable thing or a second son's. I mean, Benjen, you know, is I mean, he's an honorable second son. Yeah, that does that's a little different with the Starks. Chooses to serve. Yeah, the Starks yeah. do. They have like this family lineage and duty and tradition of, of serving him. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, after Allison, you know, puts Iron Rod in his place, everybody, all the conspirators kind of trade looks. Yeah. Like, like, oh, shit. What are we going to do with the queen? If yeah. She won't get down with this plan. Yeah. She is a problem here. <laughs> and then, uh, Tylen, you know, plays a pretty, a pretty good card. It's like, you know, okay, what, what would, what do you want to do? Queen Allison, what do you suggest? And like, she, she's kind of at a loss for words and Otto puts on the pressure. Time is of the essence. Yeah. He just does it. He just gives the command. And he, this is like forgetting like, Oh, they'll have a chance to swear obeisance. No, they won't. He says, Lord commander Westerling, take your knights to Dragonstone. Be quick and be clean. In other words, kill them and be done with it. So he's not even giving them a chance to swear obeisance. Yeah. That was just, he was just jumping through that hoop for Allison to get to the logical conclusion of what must be done, you know, for the good of the realm. Um, So yeah, he, so he, he commands the Lord Commander of the King's Guard to go and splinter cell Daenerys and her family. <laughs> yes, Sneak in the castle and murk them. Isolate, simplify, complete. We're on the same page? Affirmative. Murk them. And just immediately, it's not like he sits and thinks about it. Like he just he gets that command from Otto. And Sir Harold just reaches back and just rips off his white cloak, folds, not even fold it up, he just rolls it up, sets it on the table. Yeah, interesting how you don't, how that's like clipped on or something, Velcro. They must have Westerosi Velcro because you can just kind of right. pull it off and you. Sort of like you know, wearing a, neck, a real necktie. You know, if you get into a fisticuffs, wearing a real necktie. Oh, that's a that's problem. That's bad. That's real bad. Real so bad. So if you're a clip on and somebody grabs your tie, so, so I would think the same thing. You would want a cape like for somebody to grab you and yank you, you know, in a tactical situation. True. Good point. Very good point. And he's just like, eh, eh, you know, rips off the cape. Like you're saying, I am Lord commander of the King's guard. And I recognize no authority, but the Kings. So he's like, if there's no King, I'm not listening to any of you fucks. You know, you people are all insane and I'm getting the hell out of here, basically. And he leaves his cape on the table and books it. Not, I mean, I, I was saying, run, run before Sir Kristen comes for you. Yeah, exactly. Because they're, and I thought Otto might, might do something like that because he wants to control the flow of information. Anybody who leaves the room is, you know, uh, uh, a wagging tongue. Yeah. Potentially. And they just said so, no one leaves doors. Those doors stay, yeah. stay closed until we're done. Yet nobody tries to stop Westerling. But I mean, I guess assuming this is the Lord Commander of the King's Guard, for us to stop him, is we're literally going to have to kill him. So I guess, you know, Otto and company, you know, make a strategic decision in the moment. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to do more harm than good if we kill Harold Westerling right here. Yeah, all they have is Sir Kristen. Right. And it, I mean, that's a 1v1. I mean, Kristen has the age, but Westerling, you know, has the years of experience, you know, if not, not the combat experience. But uh, I mean, so it's, even then, if they face off Kristen versus Westerling, you know, 50-50 split, maybe, you know, 55-45, who you fake, you know, I'm not taking betting odds on that fight. So, <laughs> Yeah, crazy. I'm like, oh my God, at this point, I was like, woo, this is getting bonkers. He has no place here and he leaves and exits. And it's right at this moment that a new version of the, the song, The Light of the Seven, begins to play. And at first it's piano. It is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. 
mirroring the piano that was playing mm-hmm. when Cersei was getting dressed and Tommen was getting prepared before the sept explodes. Yep. Later on, and this music continues throughout the next scene or two, and it starts with the piano, and then it starts. It brings in the strings, the theme of uh, that was playing as Alicent was walking down the aisle at Rhaenyra's wedding in her green dress, and so they're sort of at this point straight up because they only hinted at the light of the seven in that original scene as Alicent was walking down the aisle in the green dress, but now they're straight up using light of the seven. It is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. Just in a slightly yeah. altered form. And then they mix in Allison's theme and it's like these two are the same. Yeah, it's, it definitely seems like they're playing on that, the, the chords or the notes from mm-hmm. the original Light of the Seven song. And then uh, they released on Water Tower Music, uh, they released two uh, songs that were in the show last night. One's called Lament and one's called Fate of the Kingdoms. And uh, they're both, they're both pretty, you can find them on YouTube and I guess they're on Spotify, but so you hear a song on Spotify and it plays songs like that song, which is going to be the whole Game of Thrones back catalog of music, of (laughs) Ramin Jawadi's music on Spotify. So if I I just go to YouTube and click on a specific song and Um, you can listen to it, but they've only released four songs so far from this season. Oh, interesting. Um, I think they released one last week or two weeks ago. And then two from this episode. Yeah, two this episode and then one from the first episode. So yeah. or the I think it's a song that was playing during Rhaenyra's, you know, coronet, not coronation, but her announcement as heir at the end of episode one. So, yeah, the music was really good at the very beginning. There's a more like melancholy uh, tone, you know, to the song. Yeah, piano. Lots of piano. Direct and this mirror song, of Slide of the Seven at that point. Same notes. Very, very good stuff. Yeah. So then it cuts to Helena's chamber as the uh, as Alicent arrives. And before that, Helena is sitting there with like a handmaiden and she's talking. She says something that's interesting considering everything that's going on. It is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. If one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. And so this is mirroring a couple situations. It's mirroring the Alicent and Rhaenyra situation. And it's also mirroring the Aemond and Aegon situation as we see mm-hmm. later on, because Aegon is given the, the throne and the, the, the airship, but Aemond wants it. And he, you know, for all we know, he's going to try to take it away <laughs> at some point. And it also mirrors the hunt for Aegon situation. Otto wants Aegon and sends Eric and Eric to go find him, but Alicent takes him away. And uh, so Alicent busts in and she's asking about where Egon is. And at this point, I was thinking it was the little kid, like maybe their kid's name was Egon. But no, she's referring to the Egon, the now full grown, man grown <laughs> um, prince, her son, Alicent's son, Egon. 
and uh, he's not there. He's not in his rooms. He got wind of the situation and he dipped. He fled from the from the castle off into the shadows. And uh, we see the the kids, the twins at this point. And I heard something about them having six fingers and toes, but I did notice that one child's hand opened and it was five fingers. So oh, nice. we'll see if they, you know, incorporate that little book detail eventually, whether this was just an error or whether they're not going to bother with that. And uh, so it's all chaotic and the handmaiden leaves and Allison sits down next to Helena and she starts talking with her, you know, uh, I think Helena says, father, like she knows what's going on. And Alicent says, uh, you're, you know, your father and Helena cuts her off. There is a beast beneath the boards more urgent this time. And mm-hmm. Alison is like, oh, my dearest love and reaches out to comfort her. But Helena swipes her hand away. Yeah, <laughs> Helena's like, don't get in my personal bubble. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. And uh, it's at this point where Amond shows up, having figured out what's going on to some extent, and just kind of stands there mm-hmm. in the doorway ominously. Silent, all Damon like. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, next it cuts to Otto. You want to talk about this part? Yeah, uh, we, we, the camera is on uh, a sword, and we don't know who it is yet. And he's, looks like he just has a rag. I was expecting him to have a whetstone or something to be kind of filing it or sharpening it, but I guess he's just wiping, wiping the blood off of it from whoever he killed. <laughs> no. um, and it's Sir Eric with an E. And I'm going to try to say Eric with an E and Arak, almost like the Dothraki. Arak. A-R-A-K-H. But there's Eric and Arak, um, <laughs> who uh, is obviously on duty. And he puts his sword away. Where's the prince? And then he says that, Forgive me, Lord Hand, I do not know. And then we find out that Eric with an E is the the sworn protector of Prince Aegon. Yeah. Um, so he knows of all of his knightly deeds. Right. And, and but, you know, he's supposed to know where he's at all the time, you know, at least when he's on duty. Right. Um, but, you know, he's Eric just, you know, tells the hand straight up, you know, he exploits his authority over me and then evades me. So he's just tell he's just like. I order you to turn around and walk a thousand paces. It's like <laughs> you're the, the, the prince is ter- telling you to be derelict, you know, in your duty. But it's like, if you disobey the prince, then, you know, he'll probably turn into Joffrey, you know, Oh, remove his white cloak and send him to the wall. He won't obey the prince. Yeah. So it's like, man, this is a terrible situation to be in for a prince that doesn't want to be protected or looked after or have anybody follow on him. But, Everybody else is expecting you as the King's Guard and his sworn protector to keep tabs on him 24-7. So, you know, pretty crappy duty to be like, give me Viserys. Give me, I'll watch the old man <laughs> lying in bed and I'll protect him. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, pretty but brutal. protecting these young princelings is, you know, pretty terrible duty. Yeah, so he instructs him to uh, to go and find him, to take no one else but his brother and to remove their white cloaks so nobody knows who they are or what they seek, including the queen. And that's kind of a telling thing. Yeah, this is like top secret uh, SCI, you know, super, super secret uh, <laughs> mission from the hand. Not even the queen should know. SCI, secure compartmentalized information. Is that what that means? Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. Or sent top secret 
it's something compartmented information, either secure or secret. Anyway, top secret, sensitive compartmented information. Oh, there you go. Sensitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. So, so he's like, yeah, he's like, my lord, I will. And dips. Bring him to me and me alone, Sir Eric. Yeah, yeah. So don't bring him back to the Red Keep and just dump him in the courtyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bring don't him bring straight. him to the Queen. Yeah, bring him straight to the Hand. Um, oh, and this, um, they start rounding people up. Uh, Talia, the servant girl, gets uh, thrown into jail. I don't, I don't guess they're the black cells because there's torches. There's torches and stuff to where they could at least see their cellmates. Um, yeah, they're probably not the black cells. <laughs> you know, and just uh, some kind of holding cells, though. The uh, I just I, I wrote uh, straight to jail, right to jail, right away. Uh, everybody, <laughs> right to jail, right away. Everybody who possibly knows, round them up. Yep, throw them in the jail. All the servants, they're trying to compartmentalize the information as quickly as possible. They lock Rainies in her chamber. She wakes up and she's like, what is the meaning of this? As she hears her door lock and she's trying to open the door and she goes oh, down. Yeah, this is where we see Rainey's too. Okay. Yeah yeah. 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 And she looks, she goes to the window and looks out of the window and we see, we see all the servants being funneled down towards the holding cells. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell? What is going on? Yeah. And Laris is watching as usual. And then this is when Kristen arrives back to Alicent and Amond to give her an update. And so this is interesting. Uh, he says, you know, Prince Egon's not to be found within the wall, castle walls, your grace. Your father has sent Sir Eric into the city to find him. But how does Kristen know this? Otto did it in secret and told Eric not to let anybody know. No, you know, no one can know who you are or what you seek, including the queen. But Kristen knows this immediately. How? That's what I... Right. Yeah. That's, you know, a tiny plot hole, I think. You know, unless he's like, he sees them changing clothes in the Kingsguard uh, locker room. It's like, hey, <laughs> hey, yeah, hey guys, what's up? Oh, yeah, we're oh, just going nothing. to the city. We're just going to the city on a super secret mission for the hand. <laughs> we're just going to get some ice cream. <laughs> where are you going? Just leaving. But where? I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be. And he just kind of puts two and two together. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe just, you know, they searched everywhere else and Eric and Eric, Eric and Eric are nowhere to be found. So they must be out on a mission. And he may think, okay, Westerling's gone, presumably, you know, not in King's Landing anymore or not in the Red Keep anyway. Um, We know the guy, who is the guy who announced Daenerys? I'm not sure. Darklin, Stefan or Stefan Darklin? Oh, yeah, Stefan Darklin. He's the only other known Kingsguard beside the two Cargill, Cargyle or Cargill, C A R G Y L L. But yeah, who knows? That's the last name of the twins. So we know them two Westerling, uh, Kristen Cole, and Stefan Darkling. And there's two other Kingsguard knights that are unknown to us at this time. Hmm. But maybe he just realizes that. If Otto were to send somebody on a secret mission, who would he send? Oh, probably the twins. So maybe Damon, not Damon, maybe Cole, you know, figured that out through deductive reasoning. But yeah, that would possible. assume he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> and he is Sir Kristen, after all. <laughs> um, so interesting yeah. interaction here between Allison and Sir Kristen. Where, yeah, uh, it seems like there's something something more there. Um they talk about how Eric has the advantage because he knows Aegon so well. Yep, being um, his personal protector. Allison kind of pulls Kristen close and says, I, I trust you and your loyalty. 
Uh, Aegon must be found and brought to me. So Otto's got his goons looking for him. Alicent, you know, now has her goon and then gets <laughs> Aemond. Uh, so she has two goons out looking for him. And uh, the very fate of the seven kingdoms depends on it. Yeah. Because she, in her mind, if she can keep Rhaenyra from being murdered, she can prevent civil war. Yeah. Well, but, so what do you think this is all about? Um, so if she gets Aegon, she can initiate more diplomatic resolution to the situation, whereas if Otto gets Aegon, he can sort of tell him, we need to order a strike immediately type situation. Yeah, I think so. So basically, as he's taking the throne, who who is whispering in his ear beforehand? Because once he's installed as the king, I mean, they're both going to have access. The hand is going to be able to whisper his advice to him. The queen is going to be able to whisper her advice to him. Like whoever, you know, whoever gets to it first gets, you know, early bird gets the worm. Yeah. You know, whoever gets to Aegon first kind of gets to potentially direct him on the path of kill Rhaenyra and Daemon or keep them alive and send them terms to come and, you know, swear obeisance and fealty. Um, so Sir Matthew of house rep, our friend, remember he had a different suggestion for what Otto's intention may be with Aegon. Oh yeah. He was thinking that maybe, maybe Otto was going to kill Aegon to uh, install Aemon. So that, that would be pretty wild, but I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Cause he knows Aegon is a fucking fuck stick. But as it turns out there, you know, Eric and Eric's, plans get intervened and we never get to see because the 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 key to that is what eric or eric tells aegon says the hand will meet you outside the city walls yeah where there's like seven yeah i mean is huge they say city walls i was thinking castle walls that way he can get him back in there secretly and not have allison know that Otto has Aegon. Maybe that's what he meant, but, like the walls from the castle to the city. But outside the city walls would mean outside of King's Landing, down by uh, the Blackwater Rush or whatever, you know. Maybe like the, the secret you know, pathway back into the castle. But that, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But, but they said outside the city walls, not right. the castle walls or the Red Keep walls. Yeah, interesting. So, Maybe a script error. Maybe, um, but I was like, if Otto wanted to kill him, he would probably have him brought somewhere outside the city walls. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. So it's not ca- it's not causation, but it's correlation. I don't know. For sure, for so, sure. You know who knows? But you know, at the end, we see him end up Aegon being installed on the throne. Yep, Alicent ended up. In, but it's this next line from Alicent yeah. to Kristen that's really interesting. Yeah. She says, everything you feel for me, pause, as your queen. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything you feel for me. That she said that the way she said it for a reason. Yeah. So and I'm not saying they're definitely, you know, hooking up, but it seems like she's trying to tap into something deeper in Cole to basically motivate him that much more to we have to be successful in this mission. I was thinking maybe also hinting at some kind of romantic reward if he completes it, you know, everything you oh, feel okay. for me, I'll reciprocate if you complete this mission, you know, <laughs> <laughs> type, type True. Thing. which, you know, we know she reciprocates for Laris. <laughs> so we'll talk about it a little later on. Oh, uh, so, and we, 
I don't think we see Amond as the scene starts. They're sitting together, so he, uh, like off in the side of the room, and Allison gets call. up to speak to Kristen. So Amond's okay. off in the background, but it's so he was he was kind of surprised to me in the scene um, when he says, "I'll come with you." It's like this is the classic. Oh, I'm coming with. Uh, uh, and she tries to shut him down, but um, she says, Cole, Cole needs me. Uh, Sir Eric isn't the only one who knows Aegon's doings. Yeah. So um, he's brought him along on his nights of debauchery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Little brother has some inside scoop on Aegon. Crazy. So then it cuts to Amond and Kristen searching King's Landing. And Aegon is talking, or Aemond is talking about how Aegon has brought him to the Street of Silk, and specifically on his 13th name day. And uh, there's a really funny line here about how it was, how it was Aegon's duty as his older brother, he said, to ensure that he was as educated as he was in the arts of the, <laughs> the of pleasure, basically. And he says, eh, at least mm-hmm. that's what I understood him to mean. <laughs> when in reality, all he said was, time to get it wet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he says that, and then Kristen tries to be all holy, you know, and says, every woman, an image of the mother, to be spoken of with reverence. It's like, we just heard you, you know, use the C word on Rhaenyra, like, two episodes ago, so chill out. Exactly. So, just like Rhaenyra had said that Alicent is hiding behind a cloak of righteousness, Sir Kristen seems to be hiding behind one as well. I mean, Kristen and, and Eamon have a pretty probably a pretty deep relationship. I mean, they're in the yard training all the time. Yeah, true. You would think they have had some manly, you know, banter, some locker room talk, uh, that obviously Eamon knows that Cole is not, you know, this holier than thou Kingsguard. I mean, he does say later, you're a good man with no taste for depravity, but that's different than not ever even speaking, you know, crudely about, you know, women come on. Right. Yeah, all the coaches participate in the locker room talk with the, uh, you know, with the, with the players, like, yeah, bonding with their their players for sure. So uh, they they go up to the door of the pleasure house, and Sir Kristen is doing the talking as Eamon is lurking under his hood, just like just like Damon, you know, with the hood, except less uh, less pulled down over his face and Kristen's talking about how they misplaced their drinking companion sometime last <laughs> night. And, uh, he's, he's visited this whorehouse before. So we thought maybe he might be here. And after she asks for description, he says, well, it's delicate, you know, and whispers, we're seeking the Prince Egon. And since the discretion is your part of your trade here, we're hoping you'll be discreet about this. Mm-hmm. And she kind of laughs, tells him that the Prince isn't there. And that it's, he hasn't been there in years. And she glances knowingly at Amond at this point, like, I recognize mm-hmm. you. I know who you are, Mr. One-Eye. He was here with you last time. So I know you guys are telling the truth and that you're really looking for the prince because that's the same guy that was here with him. And um, so she says that he doesn't frequent the street of silk anymore, but his tastes are known to be less discriminating. But she she doesn't tell them what it is that he does because Kristen mm. asks like oh well where where might he be meaning what less discriminating what does that mean and she just wishes him luck and wishes her best to his friend Amond, who's standing there and this is a kind of a cool part Kristen walks away leaving Amond standing there and she turns and smiles at him <laughs> and she says how you've grown 
And there's just a faintest flicker of a smile from Amond. How you've grown. Hmm. He's looking sullen, but barely flicks his, uh, the, the corner of his mouth just raises ever so slightly before returning to its position, of its neutral position, and he's just kind of, hmm, and walks <laughs> away. That's like his go-to line is, hmm. <laughs> yeah, he must, he must be a fan of The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or of Chuck. John Casey just <clears throat> grunting. All the time. Nice. All the time. Yeah, The Witcher. He's got the looks, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we get this cool shot in the back of the Iron Throne. And you see several like intact swords with the cross guard and everything. Yeah. Just, I mean, they're still, they're attached to the throne, but it's like they're- Some that are facing the opposite direction. Melted. Yeah, some of them aren't quite like melted all the way, you know, pressed into the back of the, the chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I can't remember if it zooms up over the throne or kind of around and over to the side. I think around um, to the side, I think. And we see that uh, we hear Otto say, you know, that Viserys had, had changed his mind. Um, he has all the lords of the court gathered, you know, every, yeah. all the lords that are already at the court, at the castle. Right. He's gathered to the throne room. Yeah. Some people are like, how did they gather this, you know, lords and all this stuff, uh, you know, from even the close places like Duskendale and Maidenpool. And yeah, there's no um, time for that. Yeah. This, I mean, this has happened. This is probably like eight or 9 a.m. that morning. Yeah. King's Landing in this case is like a hub of activity where people come from all around the realm, the sending Constant. representatives from their houses to try to enforce in their political uh, ambitions and influence the doings of the king and the and the queen. Yeah. So everybody has like an emissary that's stationed at King's Landing effectively. A yeah. Lot of people I mean, the, least... Iron, the Iron Bank of Bravos, they were probably in and out. Traders from, you know, uh, Marine and Astapor and Lise and Mir and all these different places, you know, mm-hmm. people constantly in and out of the city and of the, the royal palace, you know, re- wishing to treat, you know, with the king, you know, or, or the hand or, you know, somebody, you know, master of coin, master of laws, master of ships, you know, to talk to them about business or what have you. So they just gathered up whoever was was there in the Red Keep already and basically them to the question um, yeah so, so caswell is there we've seen him he's a frequent of the of the king's land of the red keep he's been chilling there for years you know every time uh uh when when rainiera gave birth he greeted her on the stairway so he was there six years before this and he's still chilling he gets out of when they get out of the uh the, the horsela <laughs> and their denira is introduced by darklin the Kingsguard. The next person mm-hmm. they talk to is is Sir is a Caswell. Caswell who who's not looking happy because the king is not well, and uh, yeah, they um, Otto's trying to you know explain the coup. Um, uh, he changed his mind. He admitted his wishes. It's as simple as that. Uh, and now he he's forcing them to be oathbreakers. Uh, you must now, uh, as you once swore your banners to Rhaenyra, now you must pledge them to the future king. And I still haven't been able to figure out who this first Lord is, you know, who doesn't immediately bend the knee. I must confer with my house on this matter. He turns and starts to walk away. Then we realize how serious Otto is. So Otto wouldn't let them remove uh, Beesbury's body. Uh, The door remains shut until we finish our business. And here uh, you will not leave this room without declaring your intention. Terrifying. He kind of slinks down the, the steps of the throne too. It approaches him. 
Yeah, uh, he gets he says closer it. and closer to him, you know, just increasing the pressure to bend the knee, say yes. You know, it's they know that it's say yes and bend the knee or go to straight to jail right away. Right to jail, right away. Straight to jail. Or, yeah. or they may be even killed on the spot. I mean, who knows? But this lady, I think, said that the house fell, who says, I am no oath breaker. I'm pretty sure I remember the lady saying, I am no oath breaker. And then maybe somebody else says, I will not bend the knee. It may be her. Um, no, it's, it's, it's the guy. Cause he turns back okay. away for, as he's about to leave. He turns back towards Otto and uh, he, Otto basically is calling his bluff. Like you're not trying to just leave the room to confer. You're trying to get out of here because you're not going to follow through with conferring at all. You're just trying to, you know, rally your, your people basically. And he's like, I'm no oath breaker. I will not bend the knee. And I'm like, good for him. He has balls. It might made me think of Team America. I like you. You have balls. I like balls. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, good for him. And then Otto looks around. Anyone else? And that's where yeah, the yeah, woman okay. steps that's up. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's from House Fell. Um, House Fell keeps its sworn oath to the princess. And yeah. I don't think in the books or... The previous show, I don't think I've ever heard mention of House Fell. Yeah, neither have I. Cool house name. I, 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 I can't recall it at all. So a new house has been introduced. Badass move. That's some that's some big ovary energons right there. You know, <laughs> good good for her. She doesn't doesn't back down. Doesn't doesn't hesitate. She just straight up tells it like it is. Like we are keeping our oath. And yeah, so then at uh, this point, I think Caswell is still standing. Yeah, um, and Otto, yeah, he is. Otto says very well, and the the man and the lady fell are escorted away, you know, straight to jail. Right away. And <laughs> if, if Caswell is still standing here, why don't they escort him away too? He hasn't vocalized specifically that he's he's that not he's, falling in line yet. It seems but like he hasn't bent the knee yet, but then he quickly does. Yeah. And but he's I mean we know him. And we know that he's, you know, at least sympathetic to Rhaenyra if he doesn't outright support her claim. But as he kneels, you know, just and it's just with camera work and the act, the actor, like we know that he's bending the knee, but he's not really bending the knee. He's doing it to, you know, survive, you know, and play, you know, play. Another, what is it? Survive another. There's another phrase. You need to play to find another day. We live up by another day. We live up by another day. Yes. Well, in there. <laughs> yeah, something. Live to fight another day or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he bends the knee, but obviously, you know, tries to jet out of town here pretty quickly. Yeah. And Laris is lurking and watching from above, and he notices that Caswell is feigning bending the knee. I think he's like, hmm, he seems hesitant. Yeah. I'm going to keep my eye on him. I guess, yeah, I guess he just clocks. Caswell's hesitancy to immediately bend the knee like everybody else did pretty much. Yep. Um, and it's like, mm, maybe he's one we need to, to keep our eyes on. Definitely. So what do you think? You think these, these people that are taken away by the two Kingsguard house fells representative, the woman and the other man whose name we don't know, you think they're just being disappeared or what? Or you think they're being held captive to try to leverage their houses into compliance? Yeah. Um, probably. I mean, the way they did things, you know, in this universe a good bit, I think was, you know, basically, yeah, try to hold, you know, get a captive or something. Like a ward. Yeah, force them, force the rest of their family to, you know, come to the negotiation table and, okay, 
um, the whole family come to King's Landing, bend the knee, swear fealty to to the new king, and we'll release, you know, Lady Fell, mm-hmm. you know, Lord, whoever it is. So that's most likely, I think, what they're doing. I mean, if they want it to be totally vicious and, I mean, they made an example out of Caswell, but they could make an example out of them too. And, or they could just disappear them into the black cells, never to be seen again. Personally, I would hold them in a cell and send a raven and be like, listen, yeah. we got your, your, uh, your lady or your fellow over here. You're going to join Team Green. Otherwise, we're going to splatter them all over King's Landing, basically. Yeah. So it makes more sense to, if you're going to try to unite the realm, basically, to rally forces to your claimant, you would make more use of your time and effort and energy and your hostage to get the rest of their house to cover down on the plan. Definitely. Definitely. So uh, we get some more really good music at this point and it cuts back to Kristen Cole and Amond as they're continuing to search. And Kristen's a little bit mad. He's like, Hmm, seems like you didn't know Aegon as well as you think you did, huh? And Aemond is considering the possibilities that he could be in the hands of mercenaries. He could be on a ship to Yee-T. He could be dead. They have to hope that that's not the case, at least for their for his mother's sake. Then it cuts to Eric and Eric. <laughs> Iraq and Arak. <laughs> and uh, it turns out they are at a horrifying location. The Rat Pits. Oof. Apparently, this is something from the books. Basically, fighting pits with little kids, which is freaking crazy. And um, they're inspecting a kid's teeth at first, and he's got the whittled down, filed down teeth like Christopher oh. Walken in Sleepy Hollow, where all of his teeth are <laughs> pointing. <laughs> oh, man. And just seeing the kids fighting in the pit here, as they were getting the explanation from, from Eric to Eric about what's going on and who these kids are and how they make them grow their nails and fight. This scene here, it's a good thing that they included this in the book, I think, because the the picture, the image of the children fighting sort of symbolizes how the children of Rhaenyra and Alicent are being, have been pitted against each other in a similar, less, Mm, less, less like immediately brutal way to these kids. But I'm watching the kids fighting and I'm like, that's exactly what's going on in like the main story is that these kids have been trained to, you know, raised to be prepared to fight each other for the throne effectively. So it was a good little microcosm of, (laughs) of the big picture situation, like a fractal where you zoom out and you see the same thing (laughs) on a larger scale. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So it's horrifying as these kids are like, being treated like cocks or dogs and being forced to fight each other for some unknown purpose. People are betting on it. And apparently Aegon loves to come to this place, which is super fucked up. It looks like they're about 10 years old, according to Eric. Man, it's messed up. Aegon spends many nights in this night in this place. So yeah, we, 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 we do have it confirmed here that Eric is the one who has spent all the time with Egon and knows how fucked up he is. And Eric has, it seems has been unaware of all of this type of stuff because Eric with an E is like, dude, you see now how fucked up Egon is like, he enjoys this place. That that's twisted. Egon is fucked and you've not even seen everything yet. And he points over to the side and 
hidden in the shadows, but in like a, probably like within behind bars, it seemed like as like a little boy sitting there with super light blonde hair. And uh, Eric with an A is like, huh, one of Aegon's bastards. And Eric is like, yeah, one of many, I'd wager. So it's crazy. Crazy. Confirmed kids of Aegon's living in squalor in a child fighting pit. So, yeah, so messed up. Talk about it. So we learn later that and we've seen that Aegon is like craving approval and love from his parents, you know, but like uh, like an abusive situation. He he is now doing the same thing to his own kids and ignoring them. He's fathered bastards and he's left them to rot out in King's Landing and royal blood is being probably forced to being fight each other and in in this fighting pit for kids and stuff and it's like he's just perpetuating the cycle of not providing the love to the children that needs to be provided which is horrible to to learn you know crazy insane insane depravity and so intercut as we continue we start seeing caswell preparing to try to flee the red keep so at first he arrives over at the horses and he's kind of looking around like just just going to get my horse no nothing to see here (laughs) then it cuts back to amond and he's telling Kristen how he's a better fit to be king than Aegon. We're starting to get a little bit more in insight into the dynamic between the relationship between Aegon and Amond. Yeah. And he's like, dude, here we are trawling the city like an ocean, trying to find a freaking minnow, you know, my brother who could be anywhere. <laughs> he calls him a wastrel <laughs> in search of a wastrel who's never taken half an interest in his birthright. Tis I, the younger brother who studies history and philosophy. Tis I who trains with a sword, who rides the largest dragon in the world. It is I who should be, and he stops short of saying king. Mm-hmm. But we have, everybody knows what he's thinking. And uh, Kristen Cole kind of has to calm him down. Like, I know what it is to toil for what, for what others are freely given. And it's this line here, toiling for what others that are freely given, which harkens back to Helena's quote. It is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. If one possesses mm-hmm. a thing, the other will take it away. So this may be foreshadowing Amond actually intervening at some point with with Aegon, potentially, because she's been right about other things, you know, about Aemond having to close an eye. <laughs> and so it's interesting. It's, I'm really curious to see now what plays out between these two brothers. Yeah, their their dynamic is we get to see a little bit of it as as Eamon finally gets his hands on him, and you know they have a little tussle there in the streets. But yeah, Eamon definitely is ambitious, and but but also note can see the writing on the wall that he's way better suited to to be king than Aegon. Way better, way better. Aegon is such a <laughs> such a just a bastard. I mean, you know, he's got everything the bastard blood, but he's trueborn. You know what I mean? And it's interesting here because Amond says that he says, I'm next in line to the throne. Should they come looking for me? You know, I intend to be found because they can't find Aegon. He's hiding, but he's like me. I would stand up and I would do it. Just like right. how uh, Aegon didn't want to marry Helena, but he was like, I would do it. <laughs> People speculate that those kids, the twins may not be Aegon's at all, that they may be Amond's, which could explain how Helena seems to have insight between the two brothers wanting what the other have. 
But it's interesting because Amund would not be next in line. It would be the son, one of the twins of Egon, who would be next in line, correct? One of correct. the infants. Yeah, yeah. Jehera, boy. Or no, Jeheris. Jeheris, another Jeheris. Interestingly, yeah, interesting, yeah. So, so then it cuts back to Caswell, who's now atop his horse and starting to head towards the gate, <laughs> hoping nobody will notice him. And then it cuts back to Eric and Eric. And Sir Eric with an E is straight up, he's saying it at this point, like something must be done. Egon is unfit to rule. And so he's like, he is stepping out of line here as far as it's concerned, as far as his role is concerned. You know, they're sworn to obey and to protect, but he's just being real about this. And he's got the balls to stand up for what he believes in. Um, and he's like, dude, this is bad. We can't allow this. And Arak, Eric, <laughs> Eric, his, his brother's like, well, you've tolerated the prince's proclivities for years. He's like, only because it was my sworn duty. And Eric is like, it's for the king to find wisdom. We swore an oath of service until death. Like, we're, we have no part in this discussion. We, our influence is not wanted. We, we have no role to try to change the way that things are going to play out. And this, they're interrupted at this point by a, a, a woman who asks for a moment of their time. <laughs> and one of them, I'm not sure which at this point, <laughs> thinks she's a whore. And so she's like, you'll find no buyers for your wares here. But then she reveals what she's really there for. I can take you to Prince Aegon. Or Ooh. actually, I'm sent by one who knows where he is. Tell you for a price. Deliver him and we'll consider your price. Uh, she says that you know, her boss, she don't want to talk with any servants. She, only the hand of the king. Exalted as the servants may be. <laughs> she kind of like does a little sarcastic curtsy. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. So it's, it's interesting that she knows that, I mean, exalted servant, you know, that's the king's guard. Yeah, she knows exactly who they are. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So she must, you know, she's clearly involved with the spied network and she's been tasked to learn the faces of all these people from the, from the Red Keep so that she can keep track of them and recognize them if she sees them. Yeah, follow them throughout the city if needed. Yeah, just the fact that she is able to recognize who they are shows how well and well-oiled and well-prepared the White Worm uh, uh, trains her foot soldiers, yeah. her little spiders mm -hmm. to be. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, so she says that the white worm, she doesn't name drop the white worm yet, but she's saying her boss will only deal with the king and one of the twins. Impossible. Scoffs. Um, and now she name drops. Uh, I think he will wish to hear what the white worm can tell him. Yeah. Um, so I so think Otto. He knows. Yeah. God. Otto knows that name. He doesn't know who she is and has only dealt with her, I think, through proxies and, yeah. you know, uh, messengers and servants back and forth. You know, the little boy that was the bag man for the money in the Damon Rhaenyra night on the town. But <laughs> yeah, I was kind of confused for, for a minute at first. I was like, how is he sitting down with the white worm when we were thinking that she was basically, I was thinking that Messaria, the white worm, was basically employed by Otto. But she's just, she's basically a free agent. She's an independent contractor of spies. Mm -hmm. She probably sent information repeatedly. This comes from the white worm. 
you know, remember that name. They get, she gets paid over and over. And over time, having delivered accurate information, because when this happened and, and Otto got the information from the kid at the whorehouse, <laughs> who uh, he said, you know, this, this source has never failed me before. Yeah. So that indicates that there's been an ongoing relationship between these two. He probably yeah. knows her by the name of the white worm, but is unaware of her actual identity. And so now right. this person is saying that the white worm actually wants to meet with the hand of the king. And yeah. so they're like, oh. And knows Prince Aegon's whereabouts. Yeah. So it's high, very high stakes. Very high stakes. Speaking of high stakes, it cuts back to Caswell, who is now legit attempting to flee the Red Keep. And the gates are opening and freedom is right in front of him. Like he can just, he can taste it. I thought for a moment there might be a dragon sitting on the other side <laughs> of the gate. That, would, like, have oh, been that nuts. would be crazy. If Fagar or uh, Dreamfire just, or uh, Sunfire, what's Aegon's dream? Aegon's is Sunfire, Aegon? yeah. Uh, if one of the three, you know, the greens, dragons was sitting on the other side of the gate and either roast him or... You know, just, you know, yeah, just, you know, growls at him and he's just like, you want to rethink you know, this, buddy? <laughs> yeah. But they just snatch him off the horse. Yeah. Like, halt, hold the gate. Someone realizes what's happening and they take him into custody and, and he's like, let go of me. All right. We'll leave it here and finish off part one. Part two will be out shortly and we'll continue right where we left off. Continuing the hunt for Aegon and moving on to the escape of Rhaenys and the coronation of the new king. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.